0: a society that doesn't care about what you think or what you know, but only what you can prove in a court of law. Welcome to the show that has an opinion on just about everything criminal justice. No, he's not a lawyer. No, he's not a counselor. He's only armed with his opinion and a plethora of knowledge in the criminal justice system. Here's the host of What You Think Doesn't Matter, Chris Thorne. All right, before we get started, let me go ahead and put this disclaimer out there. Everything I talk about today is just for your information only. I am not a lawyer or a legal expert in, by any sense of the term. So if you do find yourself in a jam up and you need to seek legal advice for your situation, please do not hesitate to do so. Do not use my information as fact, although I do try to be as factually accurate as possible. I'll admit there may be some mistakes. So uh, with that being said, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of What You Think Doesn't Matter. This week, we're going to be talking about the use of force continuum, or essentially steps that officers are required to take when it comes to dealing with a combative or resistant subject or somebody who's flat-out fighting. Uh, we'll talk about each one of the steps, what they entailed. I'll provide an example as to what may apply for that. And we're going to talk about the the final step of deadly force when it is applied, when it could be considered justified, when it would be considered not justified. And uh, we'll compare those standards as to how officers are required to comply with that, how they're judged when force is applied based on the circumstances. I'm also going to compare a use of force when it comes to civilians, uh, non-police officers, or people that have not been officially or properly trained in the use and the application of force. Um, because everyday citizens face a similar use of force. And we're talking a little bit about that. And I'll provide examples on what would be considered justifiable force, uh, unjustifiable force when it is related to a civilian involved in a conflict. And I'll try and separate the differences on why officers are held to a higher standard than a civilian and why the elements of intent, um, are different when it comes to court proceedings as it relates to an officer versus a civilian that is involved in a use of force situation. Talk about the difference between a continuum and the steps. Um, You got to remember, though, a lot of what I talk about is uh, old school training back in the early 90s, mid 90s. Uh, A lot of agencies don't teach some of the stuff that I have been taught to do, but I have received updated training. Um, I mean, it's what you would consider updated as far as like 10 years ago. So, But I do try and uh, be as current as possible, and uh, we'll go into all that, and uh, we'll sit back and we'll talk about it, and hopefully by the time we're done with this episode, you'll everybody will have a better understanding of what the use of force is and how it applies. So sit tight, when we come back, we'll jump right in. Well, like most of us, if you've ever been around and your vehicle breaks down and uh, you have something special going on with your car and you can't find a mechanic that knows how to fix it or has the tools or experience or training or knowledge to know what's going on with your car and you really can't afford to take it to a dealership because they want to charge you basically everything under the sun just to look at it and then charge you extra to actually order the part and fix the part and they'll tell you they'll have it done for you in a week and you just can't go that long without your vehicle for whatever reason well if you're ever in north texas especially around sherman texas check out nathan and his crew over at motor masters you know, They're family-owned and operated for over 40 years and a combined automotive and collision repair experience of over 150 years. They work on any make, model, and style of car, and whatever's wrong with it, they can fix it. My AC went out in my truck right in the middle of uh, Texas summer, and they were able to take care of me. They got me in, took care of the problem, got me out, no more than a couple of hours, and I didn't have to go out and take a second mortgage on my house just to have the repair bill fixed. So Nathan and his crew, they'll treat you right. Their prices are fair. Their honesty, courtesy, and dependability is a model that they live up to. So once again, if you're ever in town, more around Sherman, Texas, go see Nathan and his crew over at Motormasters. Check out their website at www.motormastersauto.com. Once again, that's motormastersauto.com. Uh, check out our show notes, and I'll have the rest of his contact information down there. Once again, they can do anything and everything for your vehicle. They do all kinds of vehicles, And uh, domestic, European, Asian, gas, diesel, auto, glass, and tires. They fix everything. All right, everybody. Welcome back to What You Think Doesn't Matter. Our subject today is the use of force. Uh, Most people, when they think about use of force, the first thing they think about is an officer. Well, officers aren't the only ones that engage in uses of force every day. Um, Correctional officers deal in use of force. The civilian population and the public when faced with a conflict, deals with, I guess you would call it a modified form of use of force. Officers on every single call, literally every single call, have a level of force. There are five steps in a use of force or a level of force continuum. And uh, honestly, I don't know why they call it a continuum, because as you know, a continuing is something that's always going. It's like a circle. The use of force continuum is actually more of a steps. There are more steps. You need either go up the steps or down the steps based on the assailant's action or reaction. Um, cause the primary goal in a use of force situation is control and common sense tells you that control is not a 50 50 situation. The officer needs the advantage in order to gain control, you know, and the ability to disengage or escalate is extremely imperative when coming with dealing with assailants. When dealing with the use of force situation, there are a lot of things that an officer has to take into consideration when determining what level of force. Okay. You got to take in the totality of the situation. You got to take in factors such as age, gender, size, the assailant's fitness level. Uh, are there multiple officers? Are there multiple subjects? Okay. All that goes into consideration when determining the type and level of force that's being used, but you also got to take into consideration special circumstances or exigent situations, such as a, an assailant's proximity to a weapon. How close are they to having getting their hands on a gun or a, a bat or a knife or some type of weapon? Does that assailant have any special knowledges such as martial arts training or, um, boxing or fighting some type of advanced uh, fighting skills? Um, is the subject hurt? Is the subject exhausted? Um, can they not fight anymore or for whatever reason? Or is the fight on the ground? Are they wrestling? Or is the subject disabled in any way? And is there an imminent danger? And when they say imminent danger, in other words, is there an immediate threat that would cause great bodily harm or death to anybody or others near or around or involved in the situation? All of that, situ- all of those factors have to be considered and they all have to be considered quick I'm talking about less than seconds less than minutes those are immediate reaction decisions that an officer has to make in any given situation there are five steps in a use of force continuation or excuse me a use of force continuum the first step is is an officer's presence. So when I say an officer on every single call has a use of force, it is quite literally just an officer being there at the scene is considered a use of force. Their physical presence, whether they're in a uniform, they're in a marked vehicle, anything that identifies them as a police officer is technically considered a use of force, okay? By the definition, their verbal, their physical presence, there's no force use, it's considered, and usually considered the best way to resolve a situation. Because seven, eight, nine, maybe even nine times out of ten, if there's a problem going on and an officer shows up, in most cases, the situation usually stops or is in control simply by an officer being there. Because an officer is a symbol of control. They're a symbol of someone who's in charge. And in most cases, when people see a police officer present, they immediately start behaving themselves because they don't want to get in trouble. Uh, The second step of uh, use of force continuum is verbalization. Officer giving non-threatening commands, just giving directions, giving ideas, giving basic commands like asking for identification. The officer's still being professional. He's being polite. He's just, hey, you know what? Let me go ahead and get everybody's ID here so I know who I'm dealing with, who I'm talking to, and we can find out what the situation is. Okay. Um, Now, if a subject is kind of not listening or doesn't hear them, an officer may increase their tone or the volume of their voice. They may give more shortened commands, such as a stop or don't move or show me your hands, things like that. More direct, verbalized, but still not considered physical force. It's more of a verbal force. The officer is trying to get control through the use of commands. Um, Basically, they start out by asking for compliance. And if they're not getting it through asking, then they start demanding it. And when they start demanding it in most cases they'll usually start listening because at that point in time the cop is saying hey look you know enough of this crap we need to get this situation taken care of okay but they're still doing it in a professional manner okay now um, the third level of force is empty hand control what's called soft techniques is basically grabs or holds a joint um subject's arm wrist elbow um something to kind of add a little bit of restraint to the subject who may be what 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 is referred is a non-combat resistance. In other words, they're trying to resist a little bit but they're not being combative about it. They're not trying to fight. They're just being difficult to deal with. Okay? Those are just what's called soft hands techniques or soft techniques. Then you got what's called hard techniques, which is under empty hand control. That's when the officer resorts to physically punching or kicking to restrain the individual. In other words, the subject is starting to fight a little bit. That's so now, the officer now has to take defensive and offensive measures to gain compliance. Okay. And from empty hand control, there is less lethal methods such as using an officer's baton or, um, what's called an ass, which is an expandable baton that an officer can wear on a belt, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, blunt impact objects. Okay. Such as, a uh, well basically just such as a baton um use a baton or a projectile to immobilize uh, then you have chemical agents which everybody knows that pepper spray you know or pepper balls or um somebody using basically a pepper ball gun which is a lot like a paintball gun once the paintballs is shooting pepper balls um chemical agents um to try and get the person to comply or to uh be less combative then you have what's called conducted energy devices, or CEDs, otherwise known as tasers, electronic devices, low amperage uh, or high-voltage electrical devices, okay? A little tip about a taser here, without getting into too much detail, tasers use very low amps to discharge, but it uses high voltage to gain compliance, okay? In other words, it would use less than 1.5 amps to discharge the darts, and you're getting 50,000 volts of electricity running through your system. Believe it or not, to give you an idea on the scale of that, you get more of a charge sticking your finger into an electrical outlet. So tasers really are not lethal. And um, once again, I'm not going to get into great detail, but taser in their vast history of manufacturing this product has only lost one case when it comes to use of force in which they were told that they were directly related to causing the death of a human being. But that case is very complex. It goes into detail, so... We're not going to do. We're not going to talk about that right now. And then, of course, you know, the absolute last step is lethal force or deadly force, right. And um, everybody understands what deadly force is. Officer resorts to um, his firearm um, to disable a subject. Those are the five steps of use of force, and people continue to use the f- use of force continuum just because it's kind of like inbred in our brains through training. That's what we call it. That's what we refer to. It's a continual cycle. OK, but it if you think about the application of force, it's more of a step. It's a step cycle. You can either step up your use of force or decrease your use of force depending on the actions of the subject. The subject's actions are directly proportionate to the amount of force applied by the officer. OK, so as the use of force goes through its cycles, the less combative the subject becomes, the less force is applied. But it's all used to maintain control of the situation. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that, that the more a person resists, the more force is going to be applied. And then you get all these other people out here saying, well, if the officer wasn't wasn't applying force, they wouldn't have resisted. Well, if the subject kind of resisted to begin with, the officer would not have had to apply force. That boils down to the old pursuit thing. you know, why were you running? Well, the the officer was chasing me. Well, if the officer wasn't chasing me, I wouldn't have ran. Well, if you hadn't have ran, the officer wouldn't have had to chase you. You know So that goes both ways. So let's go ahead and get that out right now. An officer only reacts to a subject's actions. and that's just the way it is. But people in the public don't want to think that. You know, they don't bother to think about why the officers are on scene to begin with. They only want to look at the end result as to what the officer did, but they don't think about why the officer did what they did. Am I saying that all applications of force are justified? No, I'm not. But a good majority of them are. And when it comes to civilian uses of force, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, Whether people realize it or not, when they are involved in an altercation outside with another individual, uh, whether it's a fight, an argument, a disagreement or whatever, that is by definition a form of force. If somebody hits you and you respond by hitting them back, you're applying force. You're, re- you're applying force based on the actions towards you and you're reacting. It's much like Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's metaphorical, but it's essentially the same thing. Because as a police officer, they are trained in order to gain compliance. You need to apply a step of force above the amount of force being given okay that is the only way you're going to gain the edge on it you have to apply one step more or a little bit more force the amount of force necessary to control the situation and then once compliance starts coming in you start easing back on the amount of force that you're applying that's the use of force continuum in a nutshell in many situations where an officer may have to resort to deadly force um, those are usually the most extreme situations and there are a lot of cases out there For example, uh, an officer is in a physical confrontation with the subject. They are on the ground. They are wrestling Hard techniques are not working Chemical agents are not working The subject goes and reaches for the officer's gun by definition That is a deadly force situation because the officer has to do everything in his physical power to maintain possession of his firearm, to maintain possession of any of his weapons. If that subject gets a hold of that officer's firearm, it's going to turn into a deadly force situation, and it usually means deadly force for the cop. So the officer resorts to deadly force to prevent that threat from happening. And you got to think of the situation, too. Why can't the officer go to less lethal means? Okay, well, if he's involved in a fight and he's in a takedown and he's trying to maintain physical restraint of this subject, the officer is not going to have the ability nor the time or thinking to reach for a less lethal device. Okay, it's not going to happen. He's going to do everything in his can to protect himself and to protect others around him. And if that suspect is dumb enough to try and reach for an officer's weapons, in my opinion— He deserves the action or reaction that comes to him. That's just the way it is. It's the way I think about it, and that's how I feel. And it's no different with a civilian owning a firearm. Okay, if if somebody comes after you in a threatening manner with a weapon, you're gonna. And if you're have legally in possession of a firearm, that person comes towards you with a weapon, you're not thinking about using a less lethal weapon. No, you're gonna stop that threat, and you're gonna stop that threat by using your firearm to do so, because you can articulate reasonably that you were in fear of imminent bodily harm or death, and so you resorted to deadly force to stop that. That's justified. Now, getting back to the example of the officer that is wrestling on the ground with the suspect and reaching towards less lethal forces, um, many people may argue, it's like, well, you know, if he's got his taser there. You know, he can grab that, and he can just do what's referred to as a drive stunt into the subject to get him to comply, is that a situation yes it's possible that his situation could very well happen um but like i said taking into consideration the previous mentioned circumstances if an officer has his duty belt set up in a particular fashion and has the ability to or the aforethought to grab the taser instead of his firearm would that situation work Sometimes it works um if the subject is not high on some type of illegal drug or amphetamine that basically will give make him physically stronger than what he should, what he would normally be um in many cases tasers do not work does that mean the officer should just go ahead and completely disregard the taser go straight to the firearm i'm not saying that each situation is different each situation has its own unique set of circumstances and the officer has to be able to identify and react to those circumstances so most likely, if the officer has the ability or the, you know, a forethought to grab less than lethal and use that, most likely that's what they're going to try first. As I've said, the use of force is a series of steps. You can escalate or de-escalate based on the situation. Officers do not intend to immediately resort to deadly force situation because most officers are out there to save lives, not take them. And they also know that if they use deadly force, they have to be absolutely sure that the use of deadly force was was needed. They have to be able to justify that need in the use of deadly force. And just because you see a video on TV where a suspect gets shot, you have to look and say, oh, you know, that that subject only stole a candy bar from the store. He didn't deserve to get shot. Well, if that's all you're seeing on the video, that's naturally what you're going to think. What you're not seeing is all the steps and actions that led up to that subject being shot or that subject being subjected to the use of deadly force. You're not seeing any of that. And that goes back to my previous episode of the court of public opinion. Don't make a judgment without knowing all the facts. I'm not saying that all cops are good. I'm not saying that all cops are bad. I am saying that about 99% of the officers on the street are good cops and they never intend to use deadly force unless it is absolutely necessary and there is no other way around it. And it's unfortunate that the media focuses on these one rare bad instances in which the, the officer got it wrong. And that's, that sucks. And when it comes to the use of force involving civilians, um, you can fall back on, you know, home defense or self-defense laws. In most cases, a civilian that is defending himself under the self-defense laws because it was a perceived threat or an attack, it's still a use of force. It's just that the standard is a little bit less than what an officer has to prove for themselves because of the amount of training involved. But you're still involved in a use of force. You know, the difference is instead of saying, hey, stop or whatever, someone breaks into your house at three o'clock in the morning, you automatically grab the gun and start shooting. That could be considered a use of force because of the circumstances, the time of day, the situation at hand. Now, um, to really solidify your position on using deadly force on a home invasion at night, you tell the subject, hey, get out or I got a gun. Uh, you're going to get shot. Give them some type of warning. And if the person advances, then you have grounds to shoot. Am I saying you have to take those steps to cover your ass? I'm not saying you have to take them, but it would definitely help when it comes down to it. A situation happened uh, several weeks ago where these three teenagers broke into this house and this 15-year-old kid grabbed a rifle and shot them. Well, grandpa's coming out and saying, well, that wasn't a fair fight. This kid shouldn't have used a AR-15 to shoot this other kid. He's like, well, you know what, grandpa, get a life because uh, what you should have done was taught your grandkids or have their parents teach them that breaking in the houses in the middle of the night is probably going to result in a bad ending for them. So, uh, so saying that it wasn't a fair fight is complete hogwash. It's complete bullshit because I know for a fact someone breaks into my house at two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to ask them what their name is. I'm not going to ask them what they're doing there. I'm just going to react and that's just the way it goes. All right. Now, if the subject breaks into your house, he sees you got a gun and he turns and flees and then you shoot. Now you're kind of looking at a possible murder charge because the person is is fleeing. At that point in time, they have showed themselves to not no longer be an immediate threat to you. You shot them when they were running away. That could very well end up as a murder charge for you. So as you can tell, based on what we've talked about. There's a lot more to use of force than what appears on the surface. There's a lot of thought that goes into it, and the unfortunate part is a lot of that thinking happens very rapidly. You know, an officer on the street in a deadly force situations have fractions of a second to make a life or death situation uh, decision, and all the armchair quarterbacks out there have days, weeks, months, or even years to determine if that was the right or wrong decision. So uh, let's give them some slack, cut them a break. Um, An officer involved in a shooting or in a use of force situation, they're dealing with it the most after the fact. Because, like I said earlier, uh, no officer puts on that uniform with the intent of going out and hurting anybody. So just keep that in mind. There's a lot more to it than what the media wants you to believe there is. So, and if you're interested in it, uh, go ahead and do a a search on use of force. Uh, You can go to the. National uh, Justice Center and uh, you can find some really good articles just do a Google search on it and you'll be amazed at uh, how many findings you'll find on the use of force and its application alright everybody we are about out of time for this week's episode but join me next week as we find another topic to talk about and if you like us please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter if you'd like to send an email just to say hi, offer suggestions uh, tips or a topic you'd like to hear me talk about please feel free to send an email to WITDM at yahoo.com. So until next time, be good, be safe, and always remember what you think doesn't matter.